So I teach in series, but the Lord hijacks me most of the time, so I'm fine with that now. And, uh, but I've been talking about a solid foundation. We're, we're going into the time just prior to Jesus' return. We're in it right now, and uh, things uh, in, on earth are quite topsy-turvy, and we'll, we'll continue to become more and more that way as we see the approaching of Jesus coming back. Don't forget that God's got his hand of blessing on you, and that regardless of what happens in life, he'll take care of you. Yes or no? Jesus promised to show us things to come, so regardless of what turn life takes, Wherever we are in whatever vein of life, God's promised to show us the way. So I go as much by what God doesn't say as what he does say. If he doesn't say anything, I keep doing what I know to do. When he speaks to me, I make alterations and changes. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit has come, he will show you things to come. John 16, 13. He'll show you. He'll take of what is mine and show it to you. So you know, God loves us enough that if there's something coming up that's going to affect your life in any way, I mean, he's, he's loving enough to let you know. You believe that? So, you know, me, I'm ready to make the adjustments. We've been talking about this. I've been talking about that in my podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I encourage you to listen to those if you haven't. Uh, I have a website, MitchHorton.com. It's my, it's my um, uh, blog page, but I also have on there access to podcasts and our messages here. Been talking about all that and I can't talk about all that today because I, I want to get to what I'm talking about here, but we are in a preparation time for Jesus to come back. Are you excited about that? You know, here's the, here's the skinny. You ought to get more excited about Jesus in your life than any other thing because everything you own, everything you do, everything the world values one day will perish and literally burn with fire, Second Peter 3 says. That's an exciting way to start off a message, isn't it? But nonetheless, true. So, you know, it's time to get our duckies in a row, as you say. And uh, so anyway, last week I started talking. I've been talking about, you know, preparing for the future. The most important thing we do is get the Word of God inside of us. Memorize Scripture. Get Scripture inside of you. Don't just read your Bible. Apply it to your life. We've talked about that in fair detail. And I have more to say about that, but I've been a little bit sidetracked. Uh, last week I began talking about the importance of prayer both now and in your future. How many know your prayer life moves you to where God wants you to be? Now, you may say that, but do you really understand the, 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 the why behind it? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, last week, I, I, I on purpose, rattled some, uh, kicked up some sacred cows. And there is a, you know what a sacred cow is, right? It's a belief system uh, that people think, well, you can't change that because if you do, something's wrong with you. Well, I changed something. Romans 8, 28 says, All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That is uh, maybe one of the most off-quoted scriptures around, but the truth is it's out of its setting if you take it isolated by itself. Previous to that verse, and I mentioned this last week, is the fact that all things work together for good to those, number one, that love God. Everybody say, love God. Now, what does that mean? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, oh, obey my word. I just walk in line with me. Do, do what I said. That's, that's it. Just do it, you know, if, I, if you love me. You know, then, then he said, if you don't love me, you won't keep my sayings. So, so the first key to that scripture is really loving God. A lot of people say, well, I love the Lord. But they're in all kind of shenanigans and doing things they know they shouldn't be doing. But So where's their love for God? Now, I could go and feel like I'm going into the weeds. I want to say something else, but I'll stop right there. And then we all, all things work together for, for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. But you see, the key to that scripture is understanding verses 26 and 27, Romans 8. Prior to that verse 28, where he says, likewise, the Spirit helps our inability to pray as we should. He helps us pray according to the will of God. And when you pray according to the will of God, then all things work together for good. But if you're not a praying person and you're not praying according to the will of God, things might not work out well. The enemy may waylay you. Yes or no? So I want to talk about the why behind that. And I was standing over there, and the Lord reminded me. Now this, I've got seven of these little tiny, look at this, this has got some really nice tape on it, and it is a mess. I, I bought this in 1983, and I've got seven of these, and they've got all kinds of uh, dividers in them, and this one's the one I have on prayer, so when I, when I read books, I don't just read, I take notes, and I talked to the men about this last week at our, at our meeting away. We had a men's retreat. 
uh, and, and then this is actually typed up. I've got this book, so, and so I take the notes, and then once I read, I go back and reread them because you, you easily forget things you read, right? So why read a book if you don't remember what it said? So uh, one of the mentors of mine, uh, uh, an author, said, read uh, little that is to be forgotten. Choose books the way you choose friends. So I watch my book reading. So here's one. I've got, I actually got hold of this book in 1977. Gordon Lindsay is the author. Gordon Lindsay is the um, founder of Christ for the Nations Bible Institute in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he was down during the, he was around during the days of the healing revivals in the 1940s. He was actually a really good friend of Kenneth Hagin back in that day. And, um, and was a prolific writer. He came, he actually, he died in 1973. He was on, he was actually, I think it was in Texas, but he was sitting in a chair on the platform getting ready. He was the featured speaker for the morning meet, I think morning meet. And, uh, and, and, and he just, he just fell over asleep in Jesus right there on, on the platform. That's how, that's how he went to be with the Lord. Uh, that's not a bad way to go, is it? He just went. 1973, so his, his, his wife, uh, came to the Bible, first Bible school I attended in 1970. I don't know. She came there 74, 75, before I came to the Lord in 76. And they named the student housing area of the campus uh, Lindsay Hall, Gordon Lindsay Hall. Her name was Frida. And so when I came to that Bible school, I had to, I mean, y'all, I, I could show you my office. I got, a, I got a section on my bookcase at least, you know, two feet, two feet wide of his books. And I read all of them, some of them several times. Now, here's one, Gordon Lindsay, the, and this is called uh, the Charismatic Ministry. It used to be called the Pentecostal Ministry because the baptism with the Holy Spirit came in vogue in the 60s, 70s, and, uh, and denominational people like me, I was Southern Baptist, got baptized with the Holy Spirit. No, no, he said something about prayer here, that, uh, that I ne- and I've read this. In fact, I, I, I got to get those the little whole things you stick on there. Uh, it's, it's a mess, but... I've read this thing so many times, success in the ministry. Listen, and, and this would say success, you could say success for the believer. Success in the ministry, whatever God gives to a man or a woman, depends on a consistent prayer life. Failure begins when a man, when I say man, how many know it's generic for humanity? Can we get over that? Are we okay? Good, thank you. Failure begins when a man lets down in this important phase of the ministry. The Christian walk is a prayer warfare. Hmm. Those who preach become the favorite targets of Satan, and unless bulwarks are built against him, walls of defense is a bulwark. The enemy, he will surely attack them at their weakest point. If Christ felt it necessary to maintain a strong prayer life, how much more his disciples, the minister, or you could say the believer, is engaged in a a continuous warfare against the powers of darkness. He must never forget this. If a minister will maintain an effective prayer life, or if a believer will, he will anticipate and prevent many of the ills that would otherwise overtake him. Uh, Prayer brings into action the power of the infinite and sets it to moving on the intercessor's behalf. Isn't that good? Consistent prayer builds bulwarks, again, walls of defense around the believer against the works of darkness. The enemy's sword is blunted. His secret plans for mischief are overruled. The cunning traps he sets are unsprung. I love that. Isn't that good? A praying man may pass by many dangers and never be aware of them. Prayerless Christians, whether in the pulpit or in the pew, are candidate for the devil's snares. Now, you know, I was in my early 20s when I read that, and I have read that sheet of paper right there um, all my life since I was young, and it's stoked and motivated me to never stop praying. You need something that'll motivate you to stay on the path you're on. How many hear me? So that's one of my good friends right Here's another one. This is uh, this one right along the same lines, much shorter. Uh, this is from a man by the name of Essex W. Kenyon. He was born in 1859 and died in 1947, a prolific author again. And of recent, over the last few years, I've noticed that most of his books are available now in digital form. 
Some of them you can find uh, in Apple Books. Uh, others you can find in, uh, in Amazon. Not all of them are in Amazon. And this one you can't find it in digital form on Amazon. I like digital because I can take them with me. Uh, but I got this book probably 1978. And the title of this book is The Father and His Family. Now, I've, I've read this book a lot because it really ministered to me. It talks about the origin of creation, talks about the fall of Satan, well, you know, the fall of Satan to earth, and the, then the fall of man, and it's really, really a riveting book. And then it talks about what God's plan is for the human. God designed originally a fa- the, to be the father of a great big family. Aren't you glad you're in the family of God? This reason Apostle Paul said, for this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, not as important as as to what church you're a member of, but it is important what family you're a member of. You're in the family of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. You need to go to a church that preaches the word. If they don't preach the word, I'd leave. I left the church I was at for 18 years because... They preach the plans of man, the doctrine of man. How many know doctrine? The doctrine of man sets aside the purposes of God, Jesus said, right? Now, it's quieting down a little bit when I say that. The father and his family. So here it is. Listen, page 194. God cannot touch the human today except through the church. I need to read that again. God cannot touch the human today except through the church, it is his only mediator. And if the church fails to assume its obligations, then the hand of God is powerless. Why do we have missionary endeavors? Why do we support 27 missionaries and missions agencies? Because because God can only touch humanity through the church. We are his liaison between him and people that don't know him. Yes or no? Then he said, and this is it, it staggers one to realize that God has limited himself to our prayer life. Let me say that one again. It staggers one to realize that God has limited himself to our prayer life. And when we uh, refuse to assume the obligations of prayer, God's hands are paralyzed. Woo. Did you hear what I just read? Is that scriptural? How can that be Right. Let me read it again. It staggers one to realize God has limited himself to our prayer life and when we refuse to assume the obligations of prayer, God's hands are are paralyzed. So I don't know about you. I want to untie God's hands. And we untie God's hands by praying. Again, that goes crosswise of the idea that all things work together for good, or the idea that I just, I'm just floating through life and God's will is being performed in my life. That is only true if you are praying and standing against the enemy's assaults against your life in Jesus' name by faith. So we do two things. We, we walk by faith and not by sight, and then, we, and then we assume the responsibility of praying. And I mentioned last week's... Uh, you know, I've, I've been close to death six times in my life. And uh, one, two, I have to admit, every, all six of those times. Now, a few of those times, I, will, I was alerted that something was awry. Uh, but God had somebody else praying for me. And, and, you know, I was thinking this morning about it again. If, if some of those people hadn't have been praying in some of those situations where really I, I was, I could, it could have gone either way. I might not be standing here today. So see, I can't toot my horn and say, well, I got a bit strong prayer life. Sometimes God, God sees where you are and what you're dealing with and he alerts somebody else to pray for you. Is that good? I'm gonna talk about the why today behind all this, but you've got to see sort of how this works. So, so God's got people all over the world who are intercessors, praying people. And they pray, uh, one of my mentors, now I'm getting off my notes, but I'll just, I got next Sunday, so we're good. Uh, Lester Sumrall was on a, he was in Tibet. He was on a donkey. He was going up a a rustic uh, path of a mountain, going to preach to some people, you know, that that aren't, uh, that were fairly secluded. And And he ate something really bad. 
and he got really sick. Now, I've, I've been in other countries, and I know how it feels to eat something bad and get really sick. I mean, you feel like you're about to die. And he fell off of his, he fell off of his donkey on the ground. And one of the natives came up and said, well, this man's going to die. He's got such and such, and he's going to die. And he was laying there crying out, oh, God, oh, God. And suddenly, he rose up well, got back up on his donkey, and just went back, back up the path. And it was so startling when he got home, he mentioned to some of his people that know him, I guess, in his church, or the details on that are vague. I just know he mentioned, and somebody came up to him and said, what time did that happen to you? And he gave them the time of day. It seems in my memory it was the early afternoon. And they compared times with him and said, that very time the Holy Spirit prompted me to pray for you. And I was praying. I was crying. The Bible term from Isaiah 66 verse 8 and Galatians 4.19 is travail. They cried and wept and didn't know why. They were crying and weeping for him. And he rose up well. Now, you probably will never know until you get to heaven how many times God's gotten you out of a scrap you've gotten yourself into or the enemies attacked you and it wasn't your own human ability that got you out. God had grace and had somebody else pray for you. Yes or no? I think I mentioned either Wednesday night or last Sunday morning my mother. Now, she hasn't been to church in quite a while. She's 87 years young. She pretty much lives a hi, mom. I love you, mom. She's watching me now on her phone. And, uh, but my mom pretty much stays in a room and, and prays. And, and, you know, God gives her people's names. She's prayed about events that will come. I won't even tell you what they are because you don't need to know right now. But she knows. I mean, she knows things. And she said, well, I know that. And uh, she's been that way for a long time. My dad died 10 years ago last week. And uh, so she came to live with me eight years ago. And uh, so she spends most of her time praying. And uh, see, God uses people like her who are retired, who are, you know, just where they are, and they got plenty of time. And so he uses them to pray. In fact, she'll be, I will be sitting there. I can't even get her to watch a movie with me. I mean, a clean movie. Because she said, well, me, or, or I'm trying to read a book. Well, listen, this is really good. And she said, well, Mitch, I got stuff. I got to go pray. Now, I wonder how many people around the world God's got like her. To pray for our lazy souls <laughs> sometimes. And then when we get in the scrap and we don't know what to do, gets us out, right? What you don't want to do is depend on somebody else to do all your praying because they, something might happen and they eat something bad and they're sick and they're in the bathroom they can't pray. What you going to do then? Well, God calls on somebody and they're too busy. You ever had a burden to pray and you didn't pray? All of us have to say yes. So what if, what if it's a crucial thing and, and it's life-threatening and somebody doesn't pray? Well, the enemy might win that battle and we don't want him to, right? So, Pastor, why are you talking about that? Because we're in a war, we're in a fight, we're in a struggle, we're in a battle. That's the reason 1 Timothy 6, 12, this is not in my notes, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life. Why did he say, uh, no, uh, how about, how about uh, uh, 2 Timothy 2, no man that, that is in battle entangles himself with the affairs of this life that may, he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. Did you know we're soldiers? We're in a battle? You know, most, most believers have the idea we're on an oasis drinking sweet tea, having a big time in life because God is good and his mercy endures forever. Well, he is and his mercy does endure forever. My friends, we're in a battle, we're in a fight, we're in a struggle. And they're casualties of war. And sometimes the enemy, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll grab you sometimes. And that's why you got to fight and you got to resist and you got to say no. And we've got to learn to let our faith be stronger than the circumstances around us. How many heard what I just said? Now, I'm going to be doing another series on faith soon because people don't understand what it means to walk and live by faith. So why, why, do we have, talk, why are we talking this way? Uh, why did Paul say put on the whole armor of God and, 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 and give the, the um, various components of a Roman soldier's arm, uh, armor? Well, because we're in a fight. We're in a battle. 
We're in a struggle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand therefore. What is the evil day? The evil day is when the enemy and his emissaries assault your life or assault somebody in your home or your child or your, or your friend or your spouse or, or somebody you know and love and they're assaulted by the enemy. That's an evil day. Every day is not necessarily an evil day. Sometimes you get up and say, you know, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh, my, what a glorious day, you know. Uh, that's a 1960s song, by the way. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this century said zippity-doo-dah. I don't think. Nonetheless, we're in a fight, we're in a struggle, we're in a battle. And why? I, I want to get to the why today. Why are we in such a battle now? Kenneth Hagin in his book, The Art of Prayer, uh, way back in the 1980s, had a, started the book with a quote from, from John Wesley. And, uh, you know, I think he put John Le- Le- Wesley's thought patterns in his own speech. And Kenneth Hagin said this, that John Wesley said, it seems as though God can do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him to do it. Wow. That's a, that's a big statement if, if that's true. How, how, could that, how could it be true that God can only move an answer to prayer? Um, you know, when I came to the Lord in, in 1976, I was 18 almost. And as I began to read the Bible, um, I, I, I really, I was, I was thinking, I would read things and say, well, well, that just makes absolute sense. Because, you know, life, if you're a young person, is confusing. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why doesn't this happen? Why did, why did that bad thing happen to that really good person? And why do good things happen to really nasty people? I know some really bad people. They seem to be more blessed than anybody I know that says they know the Lord, right? <laughs> well, the pieces of the puzzle started to be put together when I, when I read the Bible. And here's one thing that really put the puzzle together for me. So again, we need to be praying or else the enemy can have his way. So why is that? Um, um, now, I'm not even at my notes right now. I'm just looking at some of them. Here's how all this happened. In, in the eons of time, in eternity past, God created. It's the most perfect creature God, and I'm going to do this really quickly. Most beautiful creature God had created up to that time in eternity past. His name was um, uh, Lucifer. Lucifer in the Hebrew means light one, light bearer. So he was, a, he was an angel. He was a cherub. Ezekiel 28 references him, as does Isaiah 14. Ezekiel 28 uh, calls him the anointed cherub that covers. That means he had something to do with the protection of the throne of God from anything without that would turn on God. And then it mentions pipes that were in him in the day he was created. And it mentioned that he was beautiful. And so you put all that together, uh, Satan, Lucifer, had something to do with the protection of the throne of God, had something to do, many Bible scholars think, with the, with the worship of heaven because of that word tabrets and pipes in the King James Version, Ezekiel 28. And uh, nonetheless, needless to say, he got to looking in the mirror and was lifted up because of his beauty. Then he had the idea come to him, iniquity was found in him. Where is the start of sin in the heart of Lucifer? So when I enter into a lifestyle of sinfulness, that is doing my thing rather than God's thing with my life, I'm actually doing what Lucifer did. In heaven, he rebelled against God with the will God gave him. And he slandered God. The word merchandise in Ezekiel 28 uh, in the King James Version, if you look it up, it's slander. God, God, uh, uh, Satan, Lucifer, took slander uh, to the angels of heaven and a third of them believed what he said and he turned a third of the angels against God, rebelled against God and God had to kick him out of heaven because of his slander. That's why if you're talking bad about somebody behind their back, you're doing Lucifer's business. He's using your mouth as a tool. And he's got your ear and he's got your heart. 
Well, a third of those angels fell. I'm sure they thought about it more than twice since it happened because many of them are now in chains in the underworld awaiting judgment. Some are loose now and they help him do his bidding, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places are here. And those are the emissaries of Satan that were kicked out of heaven, fallen angels. So then Bible's very clear about that. Satan fell, he fell to the earth and he fell because of his pride. Isaiah 14, how are you fallen from heaven? O shining star, um, Lucifer, son of the morning, you've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Somebody said Satan gained, had an eye problem. And if you're not walking with God, you're a selfish person and you have an eye problem. Satan's eye problem got him kicked out of heaven. He fell to the earth. And so when God created uh, you know, animal life or plant life, animal life, human life, and then set Adam and Eve in a place called Eden, which is in the, was in the Middle East prior to the flood, and, um, and set them there, then, then Satan was also there. Um, um, somehow, evidently, he was some kind of a shapeshifter. That is, he could shift forms, and he came to um, Eve in the form of a, of a serpent, which prior to, uh, but prior to Adam's sin, evidently, was able to walk uprightly, which seems quite strange when you think about nasty. I don't like snakes. I had a few pet snakes, but I can't tell you about them. I don't have time. Nonetheless, um, but he tempted Eve. He was there and, um, and hey, uh, made a mess. So he was thrown out of heaven, fell to the earth. Luke 10, 17, when the Disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Hence the word Lucifer, light, light one, light bearer. Wow. So when God created Adam and Eve in his image, God created Adam from the dirt and we will always and forever be, be um, connected to earth we are earth creatures. We get resurrected bodies when Jesus comes back. If you die before Jesus returns, the Bible says that your body will be resurrected. So my daddy's body will be resurrected from the dead. The rapture of the church. Isn't that awesome? And then if you're alive when Jesus comes back, your, your body will be translated from a flesh and blood body to a flesh and bone body like Jesus had when he was raised from the dead, that will be able to travel at the speed of thought, instantly appear and disappear. I was just reading Acts 8 where Philip was uh, talking to, the, um, uh, to a guy in a chariot and, and he read to him the book of Isaiah. And, uh, and suddenly after Philip got this man saved, Philip the evangelist, suddenly he was not. And it's the same word for the rapture of the church. And he was found about 20 miles away in another city. Now, he wasn't even, he didn't have a new body yet. I'm just saying that God's got stuff that you have no idea about. Yeah, he's amazing. So anyway, God, when he made Adam and Eve, gave them a measure of authority under his all authority. And let me explain this really carefully. How many know God is the sovereign one that oversees the universe that continues to expand? Yes or no? He spoke the worlds into existence, Hebrews 11.3, and his words are so powerful. Once he speaks, they keep doing things. Uh, it's not the big bang. No, it's the big, it's the big, it's the big <laughs> speech. Let there be, and it's still being. So I said that to say God is the overarching authority over all the universe, God had an ultimate plan when he created the earth. And here's what happened. And here's what I want you to see. When God created uh, mankind in his image and breathed into mankind something he didn't do to the animal creation nor, nor uh, plant life, God breathed into us the breath or spirit of life. We are spirit beings made in the image of God, which, which gives us a higher order than the rest of creation. Which, which makes us special to creation. 
So God put something of himself into us when he created us. And that's the reason that we have a yearning for God. Your dog or cat doesn't pray over their meal. They just hoof it down. Boy, they just, you know, they suck it down as fast as they can because they don't have a spirit nature. And, but you do before you, I mean, you just have a consciousness of God, right? Maybe you don't acknowledge that, but you do. The heathen, the heathen religions of the world are a testimony to the fact the heart of man is seeking something beyond itself. Yes or no? So God created us in his image. And then this is the amazing thing. God gave mankind on earth when he created the planet earth. He gave mankind a measure of his all authority. Not all authority over the universe, just over the earth. And you just got to know that. So here's two things I've just revealed. Number one, there is, there is, a, there is a, a, an evil person loose who created evil in heaven, iniquity, fell to the earth. God kicked him out. For You, you can ask God when you get to heaven, why, why did he, he go to earth? I don't have the answer to that, and I don't know any theologian that does. But some reason he fell to earth. That's probably a good question to ask him. Put it on your shelf and ask him when you get I think you probably won't care once you get there, but it might be good to ask him. Genesis 1 is very clear. 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, the birds, the cattle, over every creeping thing. So verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. He blessed them and he said it again, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish, the birds, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So it's obvious from scripture that God gave an earthwide dominion to human beings. Yes or no? Under his all authority. So the idea was, if you put it all together, God came down to talk to Adam and Eve in the evening, the cool of the day, Genesis 3, because they were his under rulers. They were his gardeners of the earth. He gave them an, an earthwide authority to oversee this planet. And so he's probably talking to them about it. So he says, Adam, I want you to, I want you to name the animals. I want you to name the plants. I want you to name the bugs. Give them names that, uh, that, that uh, are parallel to their characteristics, and he did. He had a, a, quite an amazing mind. So, so after Adam and Eve sinned, not only did they break fellowship with God, all, sin, all have sinned and fall short of God's standards. So because they broke fellowship with God, that means every human being born of an earthly father and mother, when you're born, you're born out of fellowship with God, away from God, you are a fallen human being and the default of our life is not set on heaven. God can't let us in because we're impure and that's why there is a hell. Hell was created for the devil and his angels but if you obey the devil and never come to Jesus, then you have no other recourse than to go to heaven. Now, I just sense somebody doesn't like what I said. I can't help you not liking it. I have to say what the Bible says. And if you say God's not fair, well, you take that up with him. But see, God made a way for you not to go to a place called hell. My responsibility is to warn you, if you do nothing with Jesus Christ, one day, a hundred years from now, you will be in hell. And it's not because God wants you to be there. His love will travel with you all through the nook and crannies of life. When you die, he's right there. And the moment, if you don't make Jesus Lord, that your spirit is thrust into that lake of fire, he's right there saying, I did not want this to be. I love you. Something happened that took Adam and Eve's authority away. Listen to this, Psalm 8, 3. The psalmist is talking about what I just mentioned in Genesis 1. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals? What is man that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks, the herds, the wild animals, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic, uh, how your majestic name fills the earth. So again, even the psalmist uh, recognizes the authority that God gave man over creation here on earth. But it was taken away. Now listen to Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, and again, it mentions that same verse again from, from Psalm 8. 
But one testified in a certain place, this is Hebrews 2, 6, saying, what is man you're mindful of him? Or son of man, you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the work of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. Now look at this. For in that he put in subjection all things under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. Wow. But then the last sentence, but now. Everybody say, but now. See, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. That's very clear. Something happened when Adam and Eve sinned and the uh, God-given authority that they had was given away. It was transferred to God's arch enemy, Satan. He became, uh, he became what they were overseeing the world. They were overseeing the world. Now Satan does. Now that's not nice. That's not fun to hear before you eat lunch. But see, that's a sobering truth. Listen to Luke 4, verse 5. Jesus' wilderness temptations, then the devil taking him, Jesus, on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you. And their glory. What authority? All of the authority of the kingdoms of the world. For this has been delivered to me. Hmm. And I give it to whomever I wish. Now, that was a lie. See, it's truth with a lie. That's what the devil does. He'll give you a little, little inch of truth and, and give you a yard of lie. This has been delivered to me. I'll give it to whomever I wish. Amplified says, for it's been turned over to me. Complete Jewish Bible says, it's been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever I choose. How did Satan get the authority of the kingdoms of the world? When, when Adam and Eve chose to, to disobey God and obey the satanic suggestion to Eve, and then Adam saw that Eve had sinned, the Bible in 1 Timothy 2 says it's Adam that sinned. Eve was deceived, but Adam sinned in the white light of knowledge. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he chose fellowship with the woman over fellowship with God. So women, you better watch yourself. Because you're pretty and men like you. And you can cause a man to mess up quickly. Yes or no? And men, you need to watch yourself because you can be deceived just like she was. Yes or no? So how did the devil get the authority of the kingdoms of the world? When Adam and Eve sinned, evidently, there was an automatic transference of that authority God had given them over to God's arch enemy, Satan. An automatic transfer because, because you become under the tutelage of the spirit entity you obey. If you obey God, your father, then you're under his control. You obey Satan, you're under his control. Now, the scripture is very clear. The scripture is very clear that Satan is in charge now, but it's for a limited time. And I've got three references I want to read. Everybody good? I want to read to you, Matthew 8, 29. Jesus is casting a demon out of a person and the demon spoke. Uh, anyway, they began screaming at him, why are you interfering with us, son of God? The devils are talking. Have you come to torture us before God's appointed time? Now that's interesting, isn't it? Even the demons knew that, that there was an appointed time of their demise, perhaps of overseeing the world and the authority that somehow Satan gained when Adam and Eve sinned. Then Revelation 12, 12, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the uh, heavens rejoice, but terror will come on the earth and the sea for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing he has a little time. So those devils said, have you come to torment us before the time? And then Revelation 12 knowing he has a little time, speaking of Satan. Evidently, what can you read into that? Evidently, when God gave Adam uh, authority as his underruler over the earth, it was a time-limited authority. You could call it a lease. If you lease a house, well, you sign a paper. That lease is from this time until this time, and then you've got to renew the lease or move, right? So, so, so Adam and Eve had a lease on the earth. And God was going to see what they were going to do with that lease. Well, they, they did something really dumb. They gave it away. They sublet the earth to Satan. What happened? 
And, and then there's a, that, that lease comes to a termination point, Revelation 21 through through. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He sees the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which uh, he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore. Uh, and that's another story. I'm not even going to the rest of the scripture. Bottom line was, there's a period of time that lease would, would, would be up. Evidently, when Jesus comes back, the lease is up. Jesus comes and dispossesses the earth from Satan and all of the uh, underlings that work with him, the fallen angels and demon powers, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places are all dispossessed of their authority when Jesus comes back. Is that good news? So, so right now, Satan has a legal right to be here, and I'll finish this next week. Or I, you know, it's, it's kind of you know, like a train. You just got to unhook the boxcar. We'll hook it back up next week. But before we go, listen to this. The thief, that's the reason Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. It's the reason Jesus said, John 14, 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He's talking about Satan. Jesus himself called Satan the ruler of this world. Well, I thought God was in charge. Well, God's overarchingly in charge, but for a limited period of time, he gave a lease to the earth, to the sons of men, to the human race, and they gave it away to Satan. Get it? Um, John 14, 30, I don't have much more time to talk. This is New Living Translation. Talk to you that because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. King James says that he has nothing in me. Every time I read that, I say, God, is there anything in me that Satan could tag and hook on to? Your problems are based on your flesh and your unrenewed mind as a believer. If you don't know Jesus, your problem is you needing to bow your knee to Jesus and make him Lord. Otherwise, Satan and demons can have full sway in your life if you let them. Some people yield more than others to these forces. Some people are trained not to yield. Some people have disciplined themselves. And then people that get under the influence of alcohol, uh, all kinds of uh, sedatives and drugs and such, and they sedate their central nervous system, well, then these demon spirits come and they act out through that person. So people act in ways they shouldn't act, say things they shouldn't say, and do things they don't do. Most violent crimes are as a result of people being under the influence of something and it opens their being up to demon power. That's quiet in the house today. Well, that's the way it works. So if you're messing with alcohol and drugs, you're smoking pot, you're saying, devil, why don't you come on in and use my body to do whatever? And that's a really dumb thing to do. He used my body in, the, in the, my teenage years when I smoked pot. I know exactly how it feels and what it does. And he influences through that. All of the friends I smoked pot with never made it into their 60s. Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who's God of this world, has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, once you were dead because of your disobedience, your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Listen to this, this is a new living. Obeying the devil, the commander of the power of the unseen world. He's the spirit that works in the hearts of those that refuse to obey God. Wow. What is it saying? If you don't know Jesus as Savior and you don't walk in a yielded way to God by faith through his word, then devils and demons can come and mess with your life and rule you. And then it gets even thicker. The plot thickens, 1 John 5, 19, contemporary English version. We are certain that we come from God. Listen. And the rest of the world is under the power of the devil. One translation says is under Satan's power and control. It's very clear in scripture that God gave Adam and Eve authority over the earth, but when they disobeyed God and obeyed Satan and yielded to sin, that they broke fellowship with God and gave God's arch enemy Satan uh, permission 
to, to oversee and make a mess of this planet, to steal, kill, and destroy. But the good news is the last Adam came. The second Adam came. We'll start here next time. Jesus came. Now, let me tell you, I got to end on the positive. I don't want to end on the negative. When Jesus came, he was the representative man. Jesus represented the human race before God. Jesus had no earthly father. God was his father because God was his father and because he was born of a virgin. He was born without sin. He was born without a death-doomed body. He was born out from under Satan's jurisdiction. So when he said, devil, come out. He had to leave those people alone. When he said, be healed, the person was healed. He raised people from the dead. Why did that happen? Because Jesus had spiritual authority, because he wasn't under Satan's jurisdiction, because he was the God-man. That's the reason 1 Corinthians 15 calls him the second Adam, calls him the last Adam. And Jesus came to represent the human race before the throne of God and before Jesus died. He who knew no sin was made to be our sin that we might be made right with God through him. And when Jesus died, he took your judgment. He took your sin. He took your awayness from God. He took your rebellion. He took all of that on himself and he died in your place. And then he went to the place you should go. He went to the underworld. He went to hell and stayed there until God was satisfied that your sin debt was paid. And when God was satisfied your sin debt was paid, he said, Satan, come here. And he took the authority of hell and death from him. Revelation 1.18 says, the keys of hell and death. He was resurrected from the dead and just before Jesus ascended to heaven in Matthew 28. He said, as the representative new creation man, as the representative head of the church, all authority is given to me, both in heaven and in earth. What authority? The authority that God had over the universe that he sublet to Adam and Eve when he created them. The authority that they gave away to Satan when they obeyed him, Jesus got back when he was raised from the dead. Ha! All authority is given unto me both in heaven and, and he didn't keep it for himself. Before Jesus went to the cross, he had authority. Blind eyes were open, deaf ears were unstopped. People were healed of all kinds of problems and sicknesses. He raised the dead, he cast out devils. Why did he say all authority? Because he's talking as the representative new creation man. I am what God created you to be. God created you to be as a human in fellowship with him. God created you as a human to exercise a measure of God-given authority as you walk with him, under him, obeying him. All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye! <laughs> And when he said, go ye, that mantle of authority fell on the church. And you don't have to be afraid of the devil. You don't have to be afraid of sickness, disease. The, most, the person you need to be most afraid of is yourself. And your human will that doesn't want to do God's will. That gets you in trouble more than anything. You hear me? So for me, I'm not afraid. I wasn't, a, I wasn't afraid of COVID-19. I won't be afraid of COVID-22, 23, 24. <laughs> I'm not afraid of accidents, death, sickness, disease. You say, Pastor, you need to shut up the devil. I, I want him to hear me. As long as I stay submitted to Jesus, I'm in a safe place. So are you. Because underneath us are the everlasting arms. And God can use us to help people who are bound be set free. And those who are filled with fear be set free. Isn't that awesome? It's a beautiful thing. And he can use us to help those that are in darkness see the light. Be born again. Come to Jesus. Come out from under the tutelage of Satan. Come out from under his control. Do you know anybody under Satan's control? Of course, if you know people, you know. 
You may be sitting here and you say, well, I've never bowed my knee to Jesus. Well, then you're under Satan's control. And he can influence you in a given moment. But he doesn't have to. You can yield to Jesus. Give you life. Then you know what? Now we'll start. here, Here we'll start this next time. If you don't know this and you're a believer, Satan will take advantage of you. Our people, my people are destroyed, Hosea said, for lack of knowledge. So most churches are afraid to preach this. Is that true? Stand on your hand how many times you've heard this in a church service on a Sunday morning. I'm telling you, this is truth, my friends. And this truth, it sets you free. How many hear me? But you've got to walk in the light. You've got to walk with God. The biggest struggle is you've you've got to be willing to give your will away. There's a will that's higher and stronger than mine. It's the will of God. And you can't do your own will and have this authority. It doesn't work. Get it? If you do your own thing, the devil says, hey, do a little more. He's... You know, I had to look up the word insidious today. You know what the word insidious refers to? Satan is insidious. That he's, he works incrementally, a little bit at a time. He'll gain a millimeter and then a meter and then, you know, 10 meters and, <laughs> and then a kilometer. Then he's got you. You get it? Or I could say an inch, a foot, a yard, a mile. That's how he works in human life. But you don't have to let him. Maybe you've opened the door and let the enemy in. You can shut it today. Shut it tight. But you've got to give your will away. That's the key. You can't just accept Jesus and keep going. No, you've got to accept Jesus and turn around. 